0: Welcome to Dumb Love. I'm Sally Brooks and I'm Jen O'Neill, and this is a podcast about all the dumb things that people will do for love.
1: So welcome to episode 142. We're Back and Sally is <laughs> far away. I'm far away. Do I sound far away? Is there you like, sound like you're in a tunnel? Do I? <laughs> I'm so far. I'm in another state. I'm in North Carolina. I'm in a cabin in the woods. And Jen, here is the most important part. I am by myself. <laughs> Love. To hear it,
0: yeah. Because by the time anybody hears this podcast, you'll be back and safe. So nobody knows you're very open and murderable right now.
1: Yeah, nobody I'm, knows. I'm completely murderable. <laughs> uh, I, but, uh, but yeah, I am. I have no, no child, no husband, no per, no anybody else. Just me in a teeny little cabin in North Carolina uh free falling free just free falling <laughs> and free balling you know free balling. <laughs> um no i came up here you know to uh just to have alone time also to write i'm working on that book again that i've been working on my whole life i think um so i'm doing so, some revisions and then i want all of you in april to be like when are you sending this thing out but like for real now for real for real time. For real? No, do it.
0: You guys, I've read the book. I tore through it in two days, read the whole thing, loved it. I've been begging for it to come out. I've been telling anyone who will listen to me that they've got to get this book as soon as it comes out. You guys are going to love it. It's so good. Thank you. And I could give two shits about hiking anything. <laughs> But this book about hiking is so good. It's not really about the hike, it's about the journey and the it's friendships. It's about the journey. It's
1: like a it's like it's a road also trip funny on yeah. your feet. It's yeah. like a buddy a buddy comedy road trip love story. Totally. I really <laughs> um, so yeah, love so it. I'm just doing, thank you. So I'm just doing, I'm like, I have some edits that I really have been wanting to do before I send them out. And then I, by saying that, I think I've just been like convincing myself not to do anything. So I just was like, book this cabin and was like, this is your weekend. <laughs> Go do it. So that's where I am. I'm i uh, I'm in a cabin in the woods. Don't murder me. You're amazing. I'm so Thanks. proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. dude. All right. Well, let's get into our quickies. All right, let's do it. Um, I am first. Okay, my quickie is from the New York Times by Sean Mallon. And, um, and my sister-in-law, Tasha, sent it to me. And she she was like, do you think this is dumb love material? And I read this it's article. It's all dumb and I was like, love holy material. Shit, this is like a Venn diagram of dumb love material. Jen, you know how we love when people marry weird things. Yes. Always, but how do you except feel? for except for sometimes? Always, well, but <laughs> except for sometimes. <laughs> okay, mostly we're on board with whatever people want to do as long as it's consenting. Nobody's getting hurt. Nothing is getting hurt. Uh, we feel pretty good about like do whatever you want. But right. I want to know how do you feel about pet weddings? I mean, people putting on weddings for two pets to be married. Love it. Love to see it. (laughs) Pets deserve love too. My dog
0: is very available, Ruth. She's adorable and she needs someone to take care of her because it can't be me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It can't be me all the time. Not
1: all the time. Not every um, hour of
0: every day. Yeah. I'm now accepting – what is it? What do you call it when like you marry your son or oh, daughter? I was gonna off? say I was gonna say a proposal. A proposal. <laughs> no, I'm now accepting proposals, but I mean like, wait, what is it called when like somebody brings you a goat? Oh, a dowry. A dowry. I'm now accepting dowries. Fellas, <laughs> <laughs> <So laughs> get your dowries ran.
1: together. <laughs> Ruth Ruthie is, is available. On the yeah. <laughs> Well, apparently, okay, so this is according to um, the editor at The at the Knot, okay. uh, Hannah Nowak. She said, because the pandemic forced many humans to put their wedding ceremonies on hold, that many people started to think outside the box, write their own rules, and now that is especially true when it comes to pet weddings. So- this article highlights a couple of pet weddings. So the first one on December 4th, 2021, Twixie and Cowboy, who are both two-year-old Brussels Griffins. Do you know those little dogs? They're like yeah. those scruffy tiny dogs. So they I were love married. They were married at the Dallas home of Twixie in the backyard. She they dressed them up. She wore an applique lace bodice with ruffled tool at the waist. The groom that had sounds a handmade. little racy twixy. <laughs> well, the groom had a handmade silk cotton tuxedo and a top hat. Um there were 37 other Brussels Griffons in attendance as long as their as well as their owners and do you want to know how much this cost? I'm going to say $10,000. 25 fucking thousand. Holy shit. That was more than my wedding. <laughs> yeah, mine too. Wow.
0: Well, I guess this is like kind of rich people shit to do,
1: right? This I think is like so. a rich person thing to do. I think so. Yeah. So, there was a puppuccino bar and activities including a ball pit. So, apparently the Twitch owners all are- piss
0: all over that ball pit.
1: I mean, what do you think? <laughs> Yes, <laughs> yes. I would not, not get in. Love it. Yeah, Twixie's owner is Tara Helwig, who is 37. She's a fitness coach in Dallas, and Cowboys owner Michaela Wilson, 22, is an epidemiology data analyst in Phoenix. And they split the bill. Apparently, they met at a online in a Brussels Griffon hangout, and they said the dogs became boyfriend and girlfriend. And then they started planning the weddings. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess that one or both of these people is a is an aspiring influencer because I cannot think of another reason. What 22-year-old has
0: like 10,000, 12.5,000. I can't really do the math right <laughs> now, 12. Sally. 5? I just got back from dinner <laughs> with Jill. We had a little bit of wine. Like, who has that much? What 22 year old has that much money to throw at a dog wedding? I, yes,
1: exactly. If not like an
0: influencer that makes a ton of, like, a ridiculous amount of money for doing very little and doesn't value a dollar.
1: That is, I mean, it's like, that are just like crazy rich parents. I just, I don't know which. So either yeah. way, they said uh, it turned out grander than an- anticipated. And um, they said that they just didn't want to do, they, they were like, we're not just going to do a photo shoot. We want to do more than that. And they ended up throwing the most epic dog wedding ever. So so that's one that is, uh, you know, it's a bit over top. But like, you know, I guess if that's what you want to do with your money. Go for it. I don't, it's all great. But this one I felt a little bit better about. So employees of the Village Pet Supplies and Gifts in Lucerne, Pennsylvania, um, hosted the holy catrimony of two cats, Toby and Nicole, at the store. Every human said that these cats belonged together, and it just exploded from there. Everybody was asked to donate $15, and it went to rescue warriors who rescue animals. Okay, Yeah. And so I think that I'm like, that's a great idea. Um There was also a huge um, mass dog wedding in 2021 in Villa Park, Illinois, where 80 pairs of dogs were married. The owners paid a $25 registration fee. Um, They got there and they found a photographer and an arch covered in flowers. And apparently, if they didn't have a dog that they already wanted to marry, they could do doggy speed dating. (laughs) And the dogs could meet each other and then just get married. And that one was also went to charity. And then finally, there was um, a two cows, Dudley and Destiny, who... Uh, live at the animal sanctuary, the gentle barn, got married, and the owner said that their relationship is a storybook romance. And she said, if animals could talk, many would choose to say I do for the same reason as humans. She said humans and animals have the same desire for love and friendship, the same ability to feel sadness, happiness, and fear, and the same need for a good life. So there was you go. that for charity too? How
0: would you like to be like the only like dog wedding that wasn't for charity? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and you're like, and be like "No, you we I just could've... did it just because <laughs> I could have made money off this." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Shit.
0: Oh, you did it for charity? No. No,
1: no, no. We paid 25 for fucking Instagram. thousand dollars. Oh my god. <laughs>
0: Is is it terrible that like when you were talking about the dog wedding at first, I was like, no, yeah, I get that. And then when you were talking about a cat wedding, I was like, bullshit. (laughs) Cats don't feel love. But then when you told me it was for charity, I was like, okay. Okay. (laughs) Listen, I'm a dog person. We've already established
1: that on this podcast. And we've established that I'm... No, and neither. Reason. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a cold. You're bitch. a cold-hearted
0: bitch. <laughs> but also, what do you got for me, lovely. Thank um, you. uh, my quickie this week comes from an article for BuzzFeed.com. So we already love it, and it's written by Andy Golder. And um, right. this is this is for you, read um, our our pal of the podcast that loves a listicle. There are stories of people sharing the most. Cringe-worthy wedding speech stories. Oh, yay! Yeah. So this should be really fun. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah. Okay, so the first one is, is a good one. This person who is goes by the name Coolas uh, Nunes said, I was working as a banqueting chef, and last year, after the wedding had happened, vows said, rings exchanged, and Billy's filled with food and wine, the groom stood to say the following today I married the woman of my dreams and I'd like to thank her for everything she has done for me. I would also like to thank my best man who has been fucking her since we got engaged.
1: (gasps) No. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And then he said...
0: With that, he mumbled the cheers down to champagne and got a taxi to the airport to start his honeymoon alone. It turns out he found out four months before the wedding and had told the father of the bride that everything was costing more. And the father was writing checks to cover uh, his little girl's special day. And all the money went towards the groom's new life out of the country. No. That is a long con.
1: That's a long con. Yeah. (laughs) I hope that's true because
0: holy shit. I know. Um, This one says, this one's short and sweet. This one says, um, was written by Mai Hashi, said, Father of the Bride described her as the ugly duckling of the family and got booed. That's terrible! (laughs) This one says... This one's hilarious. The parents of the groom stood up for their speech and went through each age, he is 30, and read blurbs from his report card. The speech itself was insanely long. At the end of it, they asked their son to please come back to their church.
1: (laughs) 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 Oh, that sounds all right. Oh, that sounds really (laughs) uncomfortable. (laughs) I feel like I've seen one
0: like this before. This one says, A couple of years ago, my fiancé's best friend got married. He and two others were the best men, but only two of them had decided to say something, fiancé being one of them. Anyway, he gets up and tells a funny story about the groom being so nervous about the first date. Then the second guy gets up and whips out a good 30 index cards and not the normal small index cards. Oh, no, the big ones. We... (laughs) We stood there for a good 25 minutes while this guy took us through every detail of the groom and his friendship. We had to be r- hear about them meeting for the first time as lifeguards, then them playing video games, <laughs> <laughs> complete with what video games and a play-by-play of what happened in said video games. It oh. was the worst speech. Finally, the DJ started playing music to get him to stop. The kids still had...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine
0: getting played off no that's
1: amazing wrap
0: it up music I know and then it said uh, the kids still had about 10 more cards to go
1: oh my god man so I don't I mean I don't know if people know this but like when you at open mics sometimes like if you do an open mic at comedy clubs or if you're just even some comedy clubs will do this like if you go over your time they will start playing music and cut your mic off Yeah. Like, and be like, you're done. So awkward. It's so painful. But people just like will just keep going and keep going. They pretend like they don't see the light or they don't see the light or they're too new or whatever. And it will like be just like cringeworthy. But (laughs) I, the first time I got on stage at Laughing Skull, which is like our club in, um, one of the clubs in in Atlanta that we both work at a lot. I literally didn't know where the light was, and I literally didn't see the light. And I nobody told me because they where change it, was. it every month. It's a different spot. Yes, it's and so never at this time same. it was the one that was like it just said this is the light, and it was like very subtle. And I knew that I was over five minutes, right? Like I knew that I was over my time, but I like just hadn't seen the light, and I was like, I don't know what to do. And then they oh played and I was like I was doing great was it that like what's that it was it like that Enya
0: song that's like who, who can say yeah like- and I was like oh <laughs>
1: and the worst feeling the worst feeling.
0: it's the most shameful music that they play too yes it's terrible Oh, yes. Sally <laughs> for thing um this one is uh, written by somebody called Great Jam. It said, at a wedding I went to recently, during his speech, the best man went off on a super awkward tangent about how he lost his virginity to the bride and how he never would have guessed that she'd end up with his best friend, who was the groom.
1: <laughs> oy, oy,
0: oy. This one is uh, written by somebody called Alan Alda Sweater. I like that name. Brother's best friend had been friends since childhood, gave a speech at his wedding that lasted about five minutes. He said nothing about the bride at all. He only mentioned that my brother was a good guy, then proceeded to talk about his failed marriage, his ex-wife <laughs> was in attendance, uh-huh. his child custody battle, and how much it pained him to see how happy the newlyweds look since it brought back memories of his own failed marriage. Uh-huh. To top it all, he spoke... It, in a really even unemotional monotone. Ay, ay, ay. That's painful. That is painful. Okay, I'll do one more. Okay. Oh, this one made me cringe when I, so it's true. Like they say, it is cringe worthy. This was written by somebody um named INS adjuster twenty-two said, Was at a wedding where the father of the bride was giving his speech and talked about his daughter's butt and had her stand up and turn around so everyone can see it. He then proceeded to talk about the bride and groom getting it on. That is so fucked and disgusting. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Okay, I'll do one more. We need to cleanse the palate, right? (laughs) Yes. This one's also a little cringy, but that's the point, right? Yeah. Uh, This is by someone uh, named Proto04 said, When my cousin got married, most of the close family knew that the groom had been caught cheating multiple times in the past, but the majority of the people attending did not. During a small speech discussing the marriage counseling he had done with the couple, the priest went on a long rant about the groom's past infidelity and about how he was confident it would not happen again. Oh. Given how very few people in the church
1: knew about the issues, it became very tense. Uh That's, I was at, this is not, I was at a wedding once where the, the pastor kept Kept pronouncing the groom's name wrong. Oh,
0: it was really? actually
1: it was our uh, friend Fernando, who I don't know if he still listens, but he sent us once in this his love story. Uh, but in, instead of saying Fernando, he kept saying Fernando. <laughs> and my mom and I were just like trying not to laugh, And it was like just like obvious that this whoever like was marrying them did not know him at all. But he kept going, Fernando, Fernando. <laughs> well, there is one in there. There's one in there that I
0: didn't read. There was a million, so I just had to pick and yeah. choose. But there was one in there that I didn't read that was about how the um, the groom had been married twice by the same pastor. And the um, the pastor kept calling the bride by a diff- the old wife's name <gasps> oh. during the ceremony. Oh, no. Oh, man. Just get a
1: new church. <laughs> yes. First Seriously. church was bad luck. <laughs> right. You can't get married by the same – nope. No, no. Um, um, I love a listicle. I love a listicle.
0: Always, yeah. I,
1: you know what? I'm never mad at a listicle. <laughs> this is awesome. Hey, Jen. Hey, Sal. Are you ready for a crazy story? Yes. yes. Okay. This is a good one. I got my story of uh, some in depth reporting um, on theintercept.com by Liliana Segura and Jordan Smith from al.com by Amy Canon and from abc.com. Okay, so Charles and Julie McCrory met as high school students in Andalusa High School in Alabama when he was 17 and she was 14. They dated for five years before they got married, um, and then in 1982, they had a son, Chad. But after 10 years what together- a 1982 name for yourself, Right? <laughs> They had a son. What would it be? Or it's either Chad or Chaz. (laughs) Those are your two options in that year. That's it. Or Jason. After 10 years together in 1985, the couple had separated. Um, Charles had ended up having an affair with a coworker at the local junior college where he taught And although that had ended and he and Julie were trying to work things out and they actually got along really well. I mean, you have to think that they were both at this point, still very young. They had gotten married when, um, I mean, Julie was only 19, so he had moved out, but they were still spending lots of time together. So on the night of May 30th, he had actually been over at the house. Julie had done his laundry. They had played like played with Chad. Um, they had watched Hill Street Blues, which is like this is such like a 1985 story. Yeah. <laughs> and then while Chad was like having a nap, they went um, they snuck off to the bedroom, had sex. So they were still like obviously like they were trying to work it out. He had left. He had two baskets of laundry just right after the nightly news came on. He had kissed Julie goodbye. And um, Chad had waved when Charles pulled out in his Bronco out of the driveway. He had honked and waved because that was like his special thing with Chad. Like Chad liked when he did that. So then the next morning on May 31st of 1985, um, Charles went to his job. He worked at Alabama Electric Cooperative. He was an IT systems manager. Um, and he was running late because he had just started, like, working this earlier shift. Every morning, he would go and get Hardee's to pick up a biscuit and a Coke, which is, this is also very 1980s, for breakfast. And so he, but he was running late. He didn't have time. And the same thing had actually happened the day before. And on that day, Julie had actually picked it up for him on her way to work when she was, after she had dropped off chat with his parents. And so he called her, hoping, like, maybe she'll do it again, because he was like, I need my I need my biscuit and my Coke. But Julie was not answering the phone. So she actually didn't have to be at work until 8. So he thought, oh, maybe she's already on her way to drop Chad off with his mom. Which So Chad stayed with his parents while they were at work. Um, But he called his mom and she said Julie hadn't gotten there yet. And then at 8, Charles called Julie's work and she hadn't arrived at work. And so at 8.15, Charlie's mom called him back and was like, hey, we haven't seen Julie or Chad And we're getting worried, so Charles' dad went to go check on them. Charles was worried, too, so he was like, I left work and headed back to Julie's house. So for years, Charles had been a volunteer EMT and auxiliary police officer, so in his car, he had a two-way radio. And when he got into the car, he heard a voice saying that there was a woman down at a house on Lower <gasps> Lane, which was a street that Julie lived on. Oh, no. So Charles got on the radio. He knew that was Julie's house. Um, and he told the dispatcher that he was going to the house. He arrived and he was headed to the front door when his dad came out looking distraught, And he told Charles, he said, there's something very wrong with Julie. So Charles went in the house, and there he found Julie. Her head was turned to the side. She was beaten. She was bloodied. Her eyes were blackened. She was obviously dead. Charles ran out of the house because his worry now was like, where was his child, right? Like his dad, he found his dad. His dad was like, Chad's okay. I found him in his room, and I took him over to the neighbor's. So, um, investigators Billy Treadway and Wade Garrett were the first cops to arrive. They quickly ch- called in a guy named Charlie Brooks, who um, who's also my nephew's name, um, from the state crime lab, which is about an hour away. So, this is like a small town in Alabama. So, the three investigators examined the scene. They didn't find any signs of forced entry. Um, Charles's father had said that when he got there, that the door was ajar but they didn't mm-hmm. find any bloody footprints or fingerprints. Um, they did find two windows in the master bedroom that were open, but they investigators just ignored them. And instead, like as the day got warmer, they closed the windows and turned on the air conditioning. They didn't ever dust them for prints. Oh, wow. Yes. They also did not dust the sliding door. They never <laughs> looked in the bathroom. Um, the only places that the investigators dusted where the front doorknob um, and then like a picture and some glasses. So then they look at Julie's body and it was very gruesome. She had been beaten. Um, And they noted that there was like a length of pantyhose that was tied around her right wrist and also a red bandana on the floor, not far from her body. And they found that a fire poker was missing and they thought that that maybe was the murder weapon. Um, at some point, they noticed that there was a footprint that was just on the other side of their fence, like of their property. And the business that was on the other side of the print was an excavating business. They photographed the footprint. They did an autopsy on Julie and they found, of course, all of these horrible injuries. But the one that is is most important to the story is that the medical examiner noted that there were two what he called semi-lunar indentations on the back of her right arm, which is basically like semicircles. So they thought maybe it was a bite mark. Oh. Um yeah. So the report was like, was not very, very thorough. Like it didn't talk about any rigor, body temperature, anything that would talk that would lead to a conclusion of time of death. So over the next couple of days, the police questioned Charles several times. Each time he told the same story about his relationship with Julie about, um, that he had been in the house Thursday night, but he hadn't been able to reach her Friday morning. So he let the police search his car and his apartment and they found nothing. Um, But roughly 24 hours after Julie's body had been found, they took Charles to see a dentist to take a mold of his teeth. When they looked at his mouth, they didn't see any cuts or bruising around his lips or gums. But they took the molds of Charles's teeth to this dentist, Dr. Sovereign, who was at the time a renowned forensic dentist. So um, in August of 1985, a week after he got these dental molds, he wrote a report. Charles had like some like a, an incisor that was missing. So there was like a space in between. And he said, based on his observations, that the marks in the arm could have been made by Charles's teeth. But he also said in the in the letter, he said, first of all, it's impossible, in my opinion, unless very cir- unusual circumstances exist to make a positive identification from two teeth of a bite mark. Um, he also said that I don't feel that these would be of any value. He basically said, like, I can't say that these could identify. Yeah. They don't the really person. prove anything. Yeah. yeah, they don't prove anything. Like, it could be him if everything else is added up to this guy did it. But. Um, he said that basically like if there was an additional evidence, then maybe this would be of some value. But, um, he said, I feel it's not in the best interest of justice basically to use this. So despite the, the crime scene, like it was, you know, a pretty brutal crime scene, there was no physical evidence other than this, like maybe bite mark that was listed linked evidence linked to Charles. Like they didn't find the murder weapon, the hairs they collected, from Julie only belonged to her. Some of the fingerprints on the furniture and kitchenware matched to Charles, but he was there often. But for the footprint, the pantyhose, the red bandana, they had no idea where that came from. But regardless that there was nothing other than this bite mark to connect him, Charles was arrested for the murder of his wife. Oh, wow. And what shocked some people was how everyone was like, yeah, I think he did it. He had no criminal record, no history of violence. I mean, he'd been a member of the EMT and the police department for years, and, like, none of them came to his defense. And Julie's family believed the police, too. And one of the reasons was that because of his recent affair, right? The couple had recently been, you know, had been separated. Also, they found in in the house a VHS tape and a collection of photos of Julie and Charles in these, like, various kinky scenarios and basically people were like, well, this is like, even though it was like consensual, it Mm -hmm. was, it just started a lot of rumors around this small town. And people Mm -hmm. were like, well, obviously he killed her because if anybody who has like kinky sex, Um, that didn't go to the trial, but the jurors probably knew because it was a small Southern town. Right. So another thing that didn't make it into the trial, but is like crazy, uh, is it just over the just over a month after Julie's murder, another young woman was adu- abducted and raped um, oh, in the same town, and a man named Alton Ainsworth, who worked at Bullard Excavating, which is the construction company directly behind Julie's home, was quickly arrested and later pled guilty to it. And he was actually known for wearing a red bandana just like the one found near Julie's body. Police questioned him. Yeah. Police questioned him, but they like never fully investigated him as a possible suspect in Julie's murder. They basically were like, questioned him. And he was like, Nope. Everybody has a red bandana. Yeah. Everybody has a red bandana and does a crime. That's very similar to the one that killed this woman. But like, no, probably your husband. Oh my Um, God. Just as in Julie's case, where the evidence kind of showed that open window and nearby footprint, that it was a likely home invasion. That is exactly what happened in the other case. Although in Julie's case, the investigators never pursued that. So Charles went to trial in October 1905, just less than five months after Julie's murder. The state's theory was that Charles had grown tired of his marriage and had brutally murdered his wife to be free of her. They first, Even though they the, were separated. Even though they were separated. And they first called the woman that he had had the affair with as a first witness. But she was like, yeah, he never said he was going to be with me. Like, he always said he was going to stay with Julie. And they even read letters from him between the two of them that were like, yeah, Julie and, and Chad chatter." like my first priority. Like there was no future planning. The investigators offered no evidence against Charles. None of the fingerprints matched him. None of the hair. They admitted that they never found out who the bandana or the footprint came from. And they basically, when asked about this other guy, Alton Ainsworth, the investigator on the stand was like, yeah, I think I've heard that name. And that's all he said. So another investigator testified about the fingerprints found on the scene, Um, And they were like, yeah, they were all matched to Julie. They asked if they had ever attempted to compare the footprint with any of the employees at the construction company. And they were like, nope, no, we didn't. Wow. So but then on the second day of the trial, they brought in a 20 year old who said he'd been staying at his grandfather's house and said that he had noticed Charles's Bronco parked outside the morning of the murder. But then the defense was like, wait, you told the police it was the day before. But he was like, yeah, I guess I did tell the police that, but I'm pretty sure it was the same day. So but then so that was kind of like, well, this is all kind of like a wash. But then the dentist expert comes to the stand. And so despite that letter that he had written that was basically like relying solely on the bite mark would not be in the best interest of justice at trial, he said, oh, yeah, this is all good quality evidence. He basically told the jury, yes, this matches up to Charles's dental mold. And so the next day, the jury found Charles guilty. Oh, my God. And and the judge asked him, do you have anything to say before I judge you guilty of murder? And Charles said, no, sir, other than I just did not do it. So he was sent to jail for life. But since his conviction, Charles has maintained his innocence. His son, Chad McCrory, who's now obviously an adult, believes his father. Chad said his father has been up for parole thirteen times and has collected letters of support from prison officials. He is like serving his time in a minimum sp- security program because he has done so well. Chad said that when he goes to visit his father, that people come up to him and say that his father has been such a good influence on like their son or brother, and apparently that was like something that. That gave his grandmother peace, who actually ended up raising Chad, that Charles made the best out of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Chad said that a child, his he and his grandmother would cry when people would make comments about his dad. And he says, even now as an adult, he still, yeah, he still sees people who remember the case and think of his dad as a murderer. But Chad and his father's family have never stopped fighting for Charles's release. And actually several years ago, Chad got access to the evidence room at the courthouse. When he was there, he saw fingernail clippings, a nightgown, presumably like the one his mom had been wearing when she was killed, um, and some other evidence. And so he went and told his dad's trial attorney, he was like, I think there might be materials like to collect DNA. But then when the lawyer went to go to the evidence room, the items were gone. (gasps)
0: The only thing that
1: was still there was the dental mold. Isn't that crazy? Yes. Um, So, but then the family got a break and they caught the attention of the Innocence Project. So the Innocence Project and the Southern Poverty Law Center took on Charles as a client. And then on December 11th, 2019... The toothmark expert, Dr. Sovereign, came out and recanted his testimony in an affidavit. He said, changes in the understanding and practice of forensics ontology motivated him to change his interpretation of the evidence. What I said was wrong. There's no way to tie him to this. So after 35 years in prison, in 2021, Charles, um, now represented by his new lawyers of the Innocence Project and Southern Poverty Law Center, was able to get a hearing on a motion for a new trial. So their argument was the only evidence that tied Charles to the murder was the bite marks. And that has now been Like, that, the whole science of bite marks has been debunked, but now that even the expert testimony has been debunked, they had other experts who testified who were like, yeah, we don't even know if this is a bite. Like, this could might not even be a bite Oh, my God. So right before the hearing in April 2021, the current district attorney offered Charles a time-served plea. So basically, he said, if you just admit to the murder, then you can get out right now. And Charles said, no, he said, I'm not going to admit guilt for something I didn't do. Wow. So I mean, I
0: guess like yeah. when you've served that much time, is it better to just like leave or it's like, what's another couple of years if you can leave proving that you didn't do it? You know, yeah, that's such yeah. a hard
1: decision. It is such a hard decision. Because I know, I mean, there, there are plenty of people who have been offered that kind of thing who are innocent to, will take it just to be like, well, I want to have a life outside of here, you know? Yeah. But, but he said no. They he said that he wouldn't do it. So the hearing went on as planned and Chad was there. He sat with his wife and his aunts on one side of the courtroom. And Julie, his mother's brother, sat on the other side because they still believe that Charles is guilty. So at the hearing... The defense showed that the injury was not inflicted by Charles's teeth, but also that it might not even be a bite mark in the first place. And in addition, the attorneys for Charles demonstrated why none of the other evidence presented against him at trial pointed to his involvement in the crime. So basically, they said without this key piece of evidence, there's no way he could have been convicted. So the judge sat on this for a year. His ruling. And then on February 14th, 2022, he denied the motion for a new trial and said basically, he was like, Well, he could have been convicted without the bite mark testimony. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So Charles's former lawyer said he was not surprised by the ruling. He said, There's no way the judge was gonna grant this. I mean, he's a really good guy. He is, but he is really really conservative. In Alabama, judges are elected. So, you know, they're politicians too which is just such bullshit. Yeah. Um and then in a statement Charles's new lawyers said that the decision was a tragic failure of justice. This is a legacy of the use of junk science in our criminal courts. It's really very very easy to convict somebody and it's very very hard to overturn that conviction. So in March the attorneys for Charles McCrory filed a motion to reconsider that order, so hopefully that will be overturned eventually, but if you're interested in learning more about this case and other cases like this and to support the work they do you can go to the innocenceproject.org which I give them money I think they do amazing work so he was so, never anyway. released
0: he's still in jail right now he's
1: still in jail
0: oh yeah. my god that's yeah. not the ending I was hoping for I know I'm sorry wow no but it's like I know, but I'm glad that you told the story because donate to the
1: Innocence Project and look it up and support. If you read the story or you hear this story and you think like, wow, this was like a miscarriage of justice, then tweet about it or put it on Facebook or whatever, because even just like shining a light on it will put pressure on the court to look at the evidence in a real way. You know, yeah. like any kind of publicity around it is is helpful.
0: Yeah, wow. Oh my god, I feel so terrible for him
1: and his son yeah. and his family.
0: I know yeah, it's not a it's not a
1: nice story, it's but- not a
0: nice story, but thank you for telling it. Hey Sally. Hey Jen. Are you ready for a nice love story to make you feel better about the world? Yeah. Less angry. I need it. A little less I angry it. today. Great. <laughs> Um this love story comes from an article for the Philadelphia Inquirer written by Melanie Burney. This is a love story about how a man named William Small was set up on a date by his wife who had passed away years earlier. <gasps> I know.
1: What? It's crazy. Jen. I know. I
0: know. So when William Small's wife, Naomi, passed away from lung cancer in 2013, she made sure to leave no stone unturned and make sure that he would be set up for life. Everything from certain family members, what her husband would need, what things to watch out for, how to take care of them, even up to instructing her friend, Simone Cochran, who was her friend of 30 years, to make sure that To set him up with someone, find him a companion so that he would have someone special in his life. So I know, isn't that so sweet? So it's real sweet and sad. In 2015, Simone started looking for his match and she ended up picking a woman named Joyce Brown as her first choice. Joyce had also just lost her husband of 57 years, Larry, just six months earlier in 2014 to bone cancer. She didn't really know her that well. She just knew her casually, but she had a really good feeling about her and she asked her to do her a favor and go out on a date with her friend, William Small. So on their very first date, William brought Joyce two dozen red roses. Like, what a sweet thing on your first date. No. I know. This like, <laughs> I just pictured like, this older man bringing two dozen red roses yeah. on the first date. And, just like, I don't
1: know how you do this anymore, but I'm going to give it a shot. I'll I know. Like
0: that. Yeah. And so... They had a successful first date, and then they went out on a date the very next two days following. And then they ended up going out on a golf outing. Um, Apparently, William was a big golfer. He loved golfing, but he didn't realize that Joyce was a golfer, too. Apparently, her late husband was a semi-professional who, I guess, scored uh, one scored a hole in one at the Willowbrook Country Club in Morristown, which I guess is a really big deal, Sally.
1: In golf, <laughs> I was like, wow,
0: I don't know a lot about golf. I did
1: play putt putt
0: last night, listen. and that was fun, but I don't know a lot about golf. Um, <laughs> and it was a big deal, but apparently Joyce won him over when she hit the ball from a sand trap and then into the hole. Which again, I don't know a lot about oh. golf, but apparently that was a very big deal, and he was, uh, yeah, I think uh, that is a big deal. Yeah, William said that he was super impressed because he had actually never accomplished that himself. And he told the Philadelphia Inquirer, I said, oh my Lord, I can't believe it. And then Joyce said, <laughs> and that did it. He hasn't taken me to play golf since. Which is so <laughs> funny. It just reminds me, like, I remember a long time ago, my uh, best friend Patrick bought me, uh, we used to love to play Trivial Pursuit, and um, he brought me, like, a Trivial Pursuit, like, 90s edition. And I played it with him and Zach at the time we were, like, dating. And I won. And then both of them were, like, not really, but whatever. And I was, like, but I did. And then we never played the game again. <laughs> like, this game that they were both so excited to play. Patty couldn't wait to yeah. give it to me. And then I won. Uh-huh. And then we never played it again. No. Story of my life. <laughs> so anyway not really but whatever um so but apparently they became like completely inseparable and they dated for several years they had a lot in common because they were both retired special education teachers isn't that wild and then yeah and they had a lot in common they both enjoyed attending church they loved traveling Uh They like dancing, okay. and they like spending time in Atlantic City and hanging out in the casinos, which I love right. that because that's like my grandma. She lived to be in a casino, especially Atlantic right? City. So that's great.
1: It's only appropriate if you're an old person. Yeah. If it's you a- met a guy who was like, my thing is like going to casino. Like I love hanging out in, in Atl- Atlantic City. You'd be like, you scumbag. <laughs> Get out of here. I don't know that I would, Sally. Really? I think I'd if be like, a guy
0: like, cool. A- <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i just like one of my favorite movies is casino i would be intrigued I'd be like take show me what? a casino
1: have I you went been on... to atlantic city
0: i have but i mean but i'm not a big gambler like i and i've never been to vegas
1: <laughs> i like slot
0: machines no i've never been to vegas yeah. can you believe she's it she's out
1: of vegas
0: um, maybe we should. Maybe you take me it's to a Vegas, casino, Vegas. Sally. Vegas, baby. That's where we'll find <laughs> Let's go. Vince and John. Right? Remember? <laughs>
1: Let's do it. <laughs> I do
0: remember. And oh, so, I do um, remember. So after all their hanging out in the casinos, William eventually ended up selling his marital home in uh, Sewell, I guess, where he lives, and moved closer to where Joyce lives in Mount Laurel. I'm guessing these are towns in Philadelphia because this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer. They began having holiday dinners with their blended families. He had two children, she has a daughter, and then all of their grandchildren together. Um, And then (laughs) Gregory Small, William's son, said that he knew that his father had found his future wife when he met Joyce at dinner and they both began dancing the funky chicken in the kitchen to a James Brown song. (laughs) And i
1: love them so much so
0: cute <laughs> and he said i'm really happy they found each other they fit well together so apparently william had proposed to her two times and she turned him down both times she said she wasn't really quite ready to make the leap she like you know they both had wonderful lives and marriages with their um spouses that had passed away, so she said, "Why risk it again?" Yeah. She said, "I didn't really care about love again." She said, "I was 57 years, that's it." Then a year ago, William decided to ask her one more time. He joked that in baseball, it's three strikes and you're out. So he said, "Um, <laughs> Joyce Brown, will you marry me?" And then she replied, "Are you joking?" He told her that that he was sincere, and then this time she finally said, "Yes." Although she apparently had already moved in with him already, but she said that she did want to get married because she wanted to be a role model for younger couples <laughs> because they you shouldn't <laughs> live together unless you're married. And she said that she also They'll knew that they, up. yeah she said that she also knew that they wouldn't kill each other because they went on a two week trip to Egypt and they got along really well on it. So I mean that's a good test.
1: I Go mean on if an you international can, vacation yeah, travel with without with fighting. Someone, Seriously. Exactly.
0: William said that he knew that his wife did a good job setting them up. With about 20 of their family members and close friends present, 87-year-old Joyce and 86-year-old Will were married on February 21st on the sun porch of their Mount Laurel home. They were going to get married uh, at a big country club wedding, but then coronavirus had them scale it down. So she was escorted by her nephew, Ivan Yeezer, and she wore a gold silk and lace ensemble with a vintage white hat. It's so cute. I can't wait for you to see the pictures. I
1: can't wait to see it.
0: And and a soloist and keyboard player performed Joe Cocker's You Are So Beautiful as she walked down the aisle with a big smile. And then William had his son Gregory as his best man. And then Simone, who was the matchmaker who had set them up, she stood nearby as the matron of honor. And um, the couple wrote their own vows. He called her his sunshine. And she told him that he makes her – proud that I'm your woman. And they exchanged a tender kiss before the pastor pronounced them husband and wife. Joyce said, I never thought this would be happening to me. I had a wonderful husband, but God sent me another wonderful man. I'm truly blessed. Um, Wow. I know. And then Tracy Brown, her daughter, said, I'm so happy for her. They found love twice. It's hard to find love once. William's son, Gregory, said, they're a match made in heaven. I know mom is smiling.
1: Isn't yes. that so- I just, sweet? I... Like Simone needs to go in business. She knew exactly. I like, know. She was like, yep, found the person. I don't even know her, but I know she is right for you. Yeah, amazing. Good oh, instincts,
0: Simone. So good instincts. Yeah,
1: and good instincts of like the wife who was like Simone's the one. She'll 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 make sure he's when he's ready. She'll find someone for him. I, just, I know. I love it so much. Good on everyone. Such a good I know. Such a good story. <laughs> that was a good one. I loved it. That did that did make my heart happy. Thanks. Um, all right, well, let's do something dumb and something we love. Okay. You go first. Okay. So, um, I talked about this at the beginning, but you know, I what's dumb is that I finished a draft of this book like at the beginning of the pandemic, and then I've just been sitting on it. So that's dumb. Why am I doing that? But no, uh, it's dumb that you're giving yourself a this. hard
0: time for that because
1: that's so amazing that you wrote a book. That's so amazing. Thank you. Amazing. That's how I should look at it. Amazing. Um, but I, I, love that I'm that I get this time. I love that I have that Ben is you know like yeah go do it. Uh, I'm I just feel really lucky that I have like the resources and the time to do it. I'm hopefully gonna like. I want you all to hold me to this that I am going to send this book out in the next couple months.
0: Hold me to it, Jen. You're going to. You're going to. I believe in you so hard. And I'm going to make you do it because Uh, the world needs to get this book. For my Something Dumb and Something I Love. So Something Dumb is I can't believe that I forgot to tell you that there is a Night Clipper update.
1: No! The Night Night Clipper. Clipper
0: is back. Because he it's nice night. outside and there's things are blooming and he's got stuff to clip. So my friend, who I can't say that it is, my source I'm not your source, she recently let me know that he was back and she showed me pictures of evidence of all of the clippings. Oh my the gosh. night clipper is back. And so um I think we're going to have a lot. And I just can't believe he's like still at it after all of that. He's coming back full right? force. So Jen, it is night clipper season. I know. And I think we're, we've got a lot of content on the way. So that's pretty
1: amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. Uh,
0: the other thing I want to say that I love, I wanted to give my friend, I, I got to have lunch today with my good friend, uh, Marlena Shepard, who I adore like old friends. Like, gosh, I've known her since I was like 19 years old. She's, Beautiful human, love her to death. Um and I had a really nice lunch with her and um she is actually a uh, like a life coach. And um Oh and really? She, yeah, and she oh um geez. tell me and, what to do. She absolutely can. And so she has a company called Rose Colored Life. There's all these like really great workshops. I've done one and I thought it was great. You can go on her website, rosecoloredlife.com. Anyway, I just wanted to shout out my friend and direct you guys to her website. And I hope that you enjoy it.
1: Very cool. Um, I, I'm going to check it out. I want to her to tell me what to do with my life.
0: She will. After I tell you what to fucking do with your life, Sally, listen to me first.
1: T- then listen. All I've like been wanting, Jen, <laughs> tell me what to do. Somebody tell me what to do. Finish that book. Finish the book. Something else. Tell Get something off this else. podcast <laughs> right now. Get back in that cabin
0: and finish the book.
1: Fine. Uh, fine. All right, you guys. Well, Jen's making me go, so I got to go. Yeah. Uh, She's got you know what, shit what. I'm proud today. of us. We've both had a little bit of wine, and we made it through this podcast. It's so late. It is late for us. <laughs> it is so late. It's a late night, wine-filled record. I don't know if you guys are going to notice, but it happened. So We may uh, sound a little sleepy on this one, and I apologize. <laughs> I'm going straight to bed. You guys, hit us up on the socials. They're all at Dun Love DumbLovePodcast. You can email us at pod at gmail.com. Um, you could rate us and review us rate us and review us and tell a friend we'd love that. Yeah,
0: thank you guys so much for everything. We love you so much. And don't forget to get out there and do something dumb for love.